Which of these topics has not been covered on PremierChristianity.com? UFOs, near-death experiences, Doctor Who, Christ's return, the faith of celebrities, and Andrew Tate. Trick question. We don't shy away from any topic. We cover faith as it affects us in daily life and give you the bigger picture. PremierChristianity.com Special podcast subscription offer at PremierChristianity.com slash podcast. Mike Pilavachi. Well, thank you. Thank you for your welcome. It's great to be here. You may sit down. Um, I'm going to launch straight in because I want to make sure we, uh, we have time for, for everything. First of all, just a little bit about, about us. I've come with uh, uh, four interns um, who are, are traveling with me. We just came from Hawaii, and uh, we had an amazing time there with uh, the Hawaiian church. And then uh, we're, after a little while here, we're off to South Africa. And, uh, and so we're going to be away in total for about six weeks. Uh, from, uh, from home and from our church. But I love New Zealand, I love your country, and it's great to be here. Have you heard the fable about the elephant? It's an allegory about the danger of blind spots. A warning about what happens when you think you grasp the full picture, but in fact, you see only in part. It goes something like this. Several people are blindfolded and given a different part of the elephant to hold. Then they're asked to describe what's in front of them. The person holding the trunk says it's a snake. The person feeling the animal's side describes a wall. And the person touching the tail believes it's a rope. You might be wondering what this has to do with Mike Plavacci, the man at the centre of a safeguarding scandal. As it happens, quite a lot. You see, what took place at Soul Survivor Watford was a bit like this cautionary tale. Lots of people knew something of the truth, but few saw the elephant in the room. Here in the belly of the beast, we've been making dirty deals, we've been living underneath the bright lights of Babylon. I'm Megan Cornwell. And you're listening to Soul Survivors by Premier Christianity magazine. Over the course of this series, we will explore what happened at Soul Survivor Watford, highlighting the lessons for the wider church, as we share the stories of those who dared to step out and say, no more, in the name of Jesus. We need to step back and reset and say sorry and properly repent. And it's got to be we were and are part of the problem. We've got to get our house in order, and we've got to do it soon. Otherwise, this is all going to crumble. Some of these stories won't be easy to listen to, but understanding where our church is going wrong might just help us get one step closer to the kingdom of God. Episode 3, The Open Secret. I first met Ben in the summer of 2023 over Zoom. Yeah, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Let me just pop my video on as well. I've got a fan blowing across the room, so you might get a bit of of mic noise. (laughs) Ben was 19 when he joined Soul 61, the 10-month leadership course run from Soul Survivor Church in Watford. In 2011, 
he joined 40 other teenagers and young adults to learn more about his faith and grow as a disciple of Jesus. Ben has a gentle demeanour and one of those big, generous smiles that makes you feel instantly comfortable. I think it's fair to say that although he no longer calls himself a Christian, he remembers his time at the church with great fondness. But, mingled with those positive feelings, is ambivalence, because Ben witnessed Mike wrestling with a number of his peers during Soul 61. And so, when allegations first surfaced about the pastor's inappropriate behaviour, he wasn't completely surprised. I witnessed some wrestling. It would often be you know, either early before or kind of after a church service or in the week when we were in the building. So yeah, sort of in, in the warehouses. It was often with people that I kind of associated with being a bit more in the in-group that were kind of closer to Mike. Always guys. But yeah, it'd generally be rolling around on the floor. Everybody was you know, laughing and cheering and that sort of thing. They'd normally end with Mike winning and sort of having the person pinned. I remember thinking that they often went on for a bit too long and at the time I kind of brushed it aside and yeah, there's a bit of humour yeah, Mike's a older guy bigger guy oh I can't get up you know sort of thing but I also remember there's this sort of being a bit of a sense of kind of intensity around it yeah I find it weird looking back because back then it felt like a sign of acceptance and part of the banter part of the like family vibe but yeah it feels different thinking back like yeah, working in businesses and stuff. If if anybody in, in a position of, of authority was rolling around on the floor with you know, even grads, let alone interns or even any sort of employee, it would it just wouldn't happen, you know. But back then, you know, in that culture, it, it felt normal. It felt kind of part of the family, part of the fun. The idea that it was normal for teenagers to be wrestling with a 53-year-old church leader reminded me of what Jonas had said in episode two. You may remember Jonas. He'd been on the earlier version of the Soul 61 course in the late 90s, when it was still called Soul Time. Jonas had been invited to Mike's flat, whereas Ben was describing public wrestling matches. But they both said it seemed like a bit of fun. It was interesting that 13 years after Jonas was on the floor of Mike's living room, other young people were wrestling with Mike in the church buildings. I have a very clear memory of thinking that he took absolutely ages to get off once he'd won i remember feeling puzzled a little bit like oh but but you're you're like three times that guy's size and you've you've won so you're not gonna get off but then weirdly in my head because of all the roughhousing and stuff that was going on for me it was a sign of being accepted that mike was wrestling with that person and that there was a weird sense of like oh, it's not close enough to me to wrestle with me sort of thing what ben had shared corroborated Jonas's account that wrestling was taking place with those on the discipleship course. And here was another person describing the culture at Soul Survivor, where being chosen by Mike was a sign of acceptance. Before Ben hung up, he disclosed another important piece of information. He had two hard drives full of material from his time in Watford. He'd said he'd go through the files and email anything of interest. While Ben searched... I turn my attention to other things. All right, praise the Lord. I've got the privilege of um, welcoming Mike to the stage. And uh, Mike is a, is a real friend of this house. Um, uh, we can trace his visits uh, to a long time ago, and there's many years of history. Recently, we've had him more often, and it's such a blessing when he's here. Uh, Mike travels with 
Uh, he always travels with interns who he's busy discipling and training. And I wonder if they could just stand for a moment, just honor them. Can you guys stand? All right, just give them a hand. I mentioned previously that from the early 2000s, Mike started hiring interns. These were young men, usually 18 and 19-year-olds, who came to Watford to shadow him. They'd either been through the discipleship training course and asked by Mike to stay on, or they'd been invited to Watford after meeting the pastor at a ministry event, abroad or in the UK. When it came to the allegations, it was interns who were claiming some of the most egregious safeguarding breaches. So I knew I needed to find those young people who had worked most closely with Mike. About 10 years ago, I was one of Mike's interns. That's Liam. It's not his real name or his real voice. He asked us to conceal his identity because he's now a church leader elsewhere in the country. When I was there, being an intern at Soul Survivor was a mixture of being on the Soul 61 leadership course, where you'd spend time being taught and serving in a specific area of the church. And then alongside that, whenever Mike would go to speak at an event or a church service in England or abroad, the interns would travel with him. There were a few of us on my year. Often it would involve just keeping Mike company, but also being another person available to pray at the end of services. I was 17 when I first met Mike. I was putting on an event at a church and they'd asked him to speak. So I got to know him a bit there. I'd gone to Soul Survivor Festival since I was seven or eight, so I was always aware of who Mike was. I looked up to him and found Soul Survivor extremely exciting. A couple of weeks after that event, I got a call from an unknown number, and it was Mike asking if I was up for being one of his interns. He said I'd done an amazing job organising the event and asked if I would come to Watford the following year. I'd been planning to apply for teacher training, but I decided to join Soul Survivor instead. I knew someone else who had been one of Mike's interns and they'd had some amazing experiences traveling all over the world. So I was really excited to be asked by Mike to do that. I thought he must have seen something in me. I arrived in Watford then the next autumn. I'd just been through a breakup actually and had told Mike about it. He took me out for breakfast the next day and spoke about being, you know, this mentor figure for me. And then over the following months, we'd have more regular breakfasts and coffee at Soul Survivor just to kind of chat things through and speak about how things were going on the course. At this point, we'd see each other for 15 minutes one-to-one most days. He was like a mentor and he'd pray with me and give me advice about being a worship leader. He would say things to me about how he nurtured Matt Redman and Tim Hughes and how he helped them become the worship leaders they are today. And he would say to me, I really see a lot of them in you. There was one time when he said, I feel like God has massive plans for you. I don't want to tell you exactly what he's shown me because I don't want you to get big-headed, but he's shown me that he's got massive plans for you. And I remember when he said that thinking, wow, he really sees me as the next Tim Hughes or Matt Redman. I mean, you've got to remember I was only 18 at this point and I very much looked up to Mike and hung on every word he said. Not long after Mike told Liam about God's great plans for him, he started encouraging him to join the church's upcoming mission trip. Mike said he'd pay for the long-haul flights and began texting Liam, saying things like, I'm really looking forward to serving with you, and I hope you're ready for the trip. But when they arrived at their destination, Liam says Mike ignored him. When we got there, he didn't speak to me. There were probably 40 or 50 people from the church on this trip, but it wasn't just that he wouldn't speak to me one-on-one. He wouldn't speak to me when the whole group was together. I was suddenly invisible. 
It felt as though he would stare right through me. And even if I went up to him and started to speak to him, it felt like he was doing whatever he could to avoid any conversation with me. I had no idea where that had come from. And so I was suddenly going, you know, what's going on? And we got home from this trip and it continued. The months of mentoring suddenly stopped. The one-to-ones vanished. And all of a sudden, this investment in me had gone from 100 miles an hour to absolutely nothing. Liam's story was so similar to others I had spoken to, Jonas in particular, who'd been picked out from his peers and made to feel special, only to be suddenly dropped by Mike. Like Jonas, Liam had spent many hours cogitating on those final conversations with his mentor, trying to figure out what he'd done wrong, why the pastor had stopped speaking to him. He never got any answers, but as a direct result of his time in Watford, Liam gave up leading worship for several years. His confidence was shattered because he assumed Mike had realised that he wasn't talented after all. But what struck me most from listening to Liam was that over ten years on from Jonas and Becky's time in Watford, similar stories were still emerging. And yet, there was one striking difference about Liam's. As a 17-year-old, he was technically a child when he met Mike. For one thing, this meant Mike had obtained the phone number of a minor without parental permission. I didn't have much time to think about this, as Ben, the sole 61 student with two hard drives worth of material, had suddenly got in touch. He'd found something. It was a link to a recording of one of his sole 61 classes. All right. No one's going to want... Who wants to be first? Do you want to have a go at this? You do. Oh, you do. I'll, I'll set the first first of up, and then when you finish, you set in. I'll set you up so I can change. So right. Now, I didn't bring the extension which I need, so if some of it doesn't fit you, don't feel bad, because you can have it. There we go. <laughs> you might be wondering what this is. I did too at first. Mike's addressing Ben and his classmates in the sole survivor warehouses on Grey Cane Road. As the father, verse nine. The teenagers are listening to a talk he's giving about idolatry. But that rhythmic humming you can hear in the background is a massage tool. And Mike's asking if anyone wants a go. From listening closely to the audio, it appears to be some kind of head massager. I wanted to understand why Mike brought this with him. So I called Ben to find out more. It's been quite some years now, so I can't remember the, the exact equipment. But again, it was well known. It was one of his hobbies. He was just sort of brought it in. People were trying it at the front just as a you know fun, casual thing. It was just part of the culture, part of the fun of it. Again, at the time, wouldn't have thought anything of it. It was just the hobby, you know? It was just, here's something I'm, I'm passionate about. Here's some Is kit. that how it was presented to you, Ben? Did Mike say to you to you all that that was one of his hobbies? I think so, yeah. Certainly he'd talk about going for massages whenever he's travelling and and such. I personally never, I don't remember encountering Mike directly offering a massage, but then I wasn't really in the inner circle in terms of feeling like I, I knew Mike well, so I probably never had the sort of connection on that front. But it was certainly, yeah, it was certainly one of his hobbies. Massages, food. 
uh, Chateau Neuf de Pape, I think was the, the wine that he'd often talk about the festivals as well. Yeah, if you sort of had to, had to name some of his, his key hobbies, it'd probably be one of them. Mike's interest in massage was something I would later confirm with several other former Soul 61 students. They explained that Mike kept equipment in his house, something they knew for sure because he would invite the young cohort for a barbecue in the summer and they'd have fun trying out the massage chair and various devices he owned. This story was recounted by five former Soul 61ers across different years, with the most recent being from the class of 2019. But let's stop here for a moment, because I want to be clear about one thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with keeping massage equipment in your house. If massage was a hobby of Mike's, there's every possibility it was a perfectly innocent one. It's one thing to own massage tools. It's quite another to bring them into a teaching session with young people at your church. I had listened to the whole audio file from Ben, all one hour, 45 minutes of it, and not once did Mike use it to illustrate any of his points. Nonetheless, perhaps it was meant as light relief from heavy theological discussions, or even just a bit of fun. The young people were clearly enjoying the novelty of it and queuing up to have a go. Did Ben remember anything else about massages from his time at the church? I was certainly aware that on one of the international trips, I know some of the lads were talking about how they went with Mike to get a massage. But I think that was I think that was at an airport, probably, or a massage parlour or something, rather than it being anything more private than that. This was interesting. During my research, I had come across a clip of the well-known worship leader and vicar, Tim Hughes, talking about something similar. The audio you're about to hear is from 2001, when Tim was a full-time member of staff at Soul Survivor. He would have been 24 at the time, and with Mike on a ministry trip to South Africa. A radio presenter has just asked the pair about Mike's most embarrassing moment. Well, (laughs) the one thing uh, (laughs) Mike does is he's not very... uh, He sometimes says things without without thinking, you know, what it would sound like. And we... um, can I say this? <laughs> in Australia, with the... Yeah. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> we have to veto that. We, 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 were, we, were we were in Australia with uh, myself just before coming here with, with Tim and his brother Pete. And uh, we saw that there was a, we were we were tired. We'd just been ministering, and there was a place that um, you know they they you know, they did massage, and it was all you know proper kosher oh, massage, not uh. you know they wore white coats and all of that sort of stuff. Well, anyway, as a treat, uh, Pete and Tim paid for my massage, and then we were in a shop afterwards, and um, as we were at the counter, um, I, I I I said to them without thinking, in front of all the other customers and the salesmen, I said, hey. Thanks for the massage, boys. <laughs> and suddenly I said it and I said, what have I just said? And everyone looked and it sounded so dodgy. Because it was like, you know, do you know what I mean? And it was like, you can't take something like that back because it sounded different uh, to what it actually meant. So I keep doing things like that. My mouth goes into action before my brain is in gear, I think is the phrase. As you can hear, Mike and Tim are laughing. Let's face it, it's quite a funny anecdote about the Hughes brothers, and their then pastor and boss, Pilavachi. Was this all these massage allegations were? Innocent fun that had been taken out of context? The audio Ben had shared was certainly a helpful piece of the puzzle, but it didn't tell me everything. 
As I considered where to go next, I came across a name I recognised. It was someone I knew from my work on Premier Christianity magazine. I dropped Joe a quick email to see if he could help. As it turned out, he could. Hi, Megan. Two of my closest mates did Soul Time. I'd be happy to connect you if that would be helpful. Joe's friend would prove pivotal in our investigation. I will say as well, just for the record, the stuff about him massaging people being an open secret, absolutely. He talked about giving massages to people on our Soul Time course. That's David. David did Soul Time in 2003. And what you've just heard is one of the first things he told me. At the time, I couldn't quite believe what I was hearing. The fact that he gave massages, he spoke about on our Soul Time course, it was in the old warehouse. So I can't remember if it's five or seven grey cane road, but they had this like room in the old warehouse where uh, they did our Soul Time teaching and different people would come in and one of the people was Mike and I remember him sitting there and he was talking about it and he was talking about physical contact and touch. He said, for some old people who live on their own, the peace in the church is the most important part of the service because that's the only physical contact they ever get. And physical contact is really important, which is totally true. It's a really valid point. And in that same little talk, he might have been straight after or in in the same context, he was like, you know, I'm a single man, I'm not married. And massage is one of the things that I do. That's like how I express physical contact, how I get physical contact. Because, you know, physical contact is important for us as human beings. And when he said it, it sounded kind of reasonable, you know. But look, here's the thing. I think it would be reasonable if him and friends were like, let's do massages together. That would be cool because they're buds and they're peers and they're both like equals. You can't give massages solely to people who you have massive amounts of power over, right? That's not, that's not okay. And it's interesting the way that, like, the way it was rationalised, you know, that when Mike says, I'm a single guy and so I give massages to my friends as a way of expressing stuff, when you tell it like that, it can sound, like, healthy and normal and rational and you're like, yeah, I get it. And there's a little part of me that was thinking, like, when all this came out, it's like, Maybe the church is just different. Maybe the, the church is, you know, just a place of like deeper relationship where people can find him. But then you flip it around. You think of like a CEO of a business who's really powerful, who took on interns at the bottom level of the business and then was like, hey, do you want to come to my house for a massage? They'd get fired. Clearly, Mike hadn't been fired. In fact, David was talking about things that happened over 20 years ago. And since then, Mike had been ordained in the Church of England. He'd been made an MBE for services to young people and awarded by the Archbishop of Canterbury for his evangelism. Was it possible David was confused? What gave him the impression Mike was giving massages to people who weren't his peers? I was housemates with a guy called and I remember one occasion in Bruce Grove where he was like, what would you think if the pastor of your church was giving massages to young people? And he told me, our other housemate, he told us that Mike did massages. To him specifically? Yeah. The fact that he was giving massages to to young men was his own question. What I remember saying was, I spoke to Tim Hughes about it, because he was close friends with Tim Hughes, or he was working with Tim Hughes. And, and Tim said, if you don't want him to massage your legs at first, then you don't, then you can say that and he won't massage your legs if you feel uncomfortable. So from report, Tim Hughes knew about it. 
It's important to say at this point that we did approach Tim Hughes to confirm David's account, but Tim declined to speak to us. In a previous statement, he and his brother Pete had said they couldn't comment on their own experiences at Soul Survivor while the safeguarding investigation was still taking place. In a future episode, we'll explore how safeguarding allegations were handled by others at the ministry. After saying goodbye to David, I sent a message to his former housemate. Let's call him Billy. And then my phone rang. It wasn't Billy, though. It was my colleague, Kelly, who's also working on this investigation. Hi, Kelly. Hi, uh, are you in a private place? Yeah, go for it. And we've just received a tip-off that the Church of England is publishing the National Safeguarding Report at five o'clock, and I've been sent an early copy. Gosh, all right, what does it say? Well, I mean, as expected, not much detail, but it will substantiate the allegations against Mike, and it has also confirmed the nature of the abuse as being both physical and psychological. My gosh. And uh, also, Pilavachi has resigned his ministry license. Wow. Okay. All right. That's really helpful information. Can you send me a copy of it when you get a sec? Yeah, yeah. I'll send it to you straight away. Thanks. I've also got something to update you on, actually. Do you remember I told you about David? Mm, David. Yeah, I think the name sounds familiar. Well, he's given me some details of someone... At this point, we'd been waiting for months for the outcome of the National Safeguarding Investigation into Mike. And now we had just a few hours to wait. 5pm was when Kelly said the report was due to land. At 20 to 6, my phone pinged with a message. This time, it was Billy. Hi, Megan. The results from the internal CV inquiry are out today. Is there anything that you'd need to clarify before you feel you can report the allegations have been found to be accurate? Basically, I know the massaging on his bed happened, because it happened to me. I know that the ghosting and the gaslighting was real. I know that before and after me there were others who had almost identical experiences. My Pilavachi's behaviour was unacceptable and unprofessional, and it was profoundly damaging. And then the safeguarding report dropped. This is the statement Soul Survivor's Chair of Trustees read to the congregation that Sunday. We have received the conclusions of the Church of England safeguarding investigation into Mike Pilavachi. We are grateful to all those who have contributed to this process and who, by coming forward, have brought Mike's abusive behaviour into the light. We are deeply sorry to all those people who have been victims of spiritual, emotional and psychological abuse, physical wrestling and massage under Mike's leadership. The investigation found that there has been a systematic pattern of coercive and controlling behaviour. Everything suddenly felt heavy. The answers I'd spent months searching for had finally arrived, but it was of little comfort. According to the National Safeguarding Team, Reverend Canon Mike Plavarchi had misused his spiritual authority over a period of 40 years. He had abused young people psychologically and emotionally, and his controlling behaviour led to the physical wrestling of youths and massaging of young male interns. I felt overwhelmingly sad. A few days later, I spoke to one of Mike's former interns. It wasn't Billy, it was someone else, 
who also wishes to remain anonymous. What you're about to hear is an extract from our conversation, voiced by someone to protect his identity. This story is not easy to listen to, but it's crucial if we're to learn the lessons for the wider church. I was a soul timer, and during the soul time course, I don't know how, but I was identified by Mike as someone to get to know. We sat down and had a big conversation, and he heard all about my life story, and that includes being from a broken home, a single-parent family. And in that conversation, he drilled into the relationship with my dad, who was the single parent who was around, and he kind of undermined that a little bit and said it was an unhealthy relationship. And off the back of that, he asked if I wanted to stay on at Soul Survivor after Soul Time to hang out. So I stayed on in Watford and I just hung out. I was supposed to be shadowing him and learning from him, but I didn't see him for a long time, actually. I was given this little stipend to pay for food and accommodation. The only thing I could afford was a property with no central heating, which was pretty grim. I didn't see much of Mike other than on a few occasions towards the tail end of that internship, in inverted commas. I went on a trip with Mike abroad where he took me for a massage at a massage parlour, so he kind of introduced it to me there. And then back in Watford, we also went for another massage. It wasn't a couple's massage or anything, but he paid for me to have a massage there. The context of it was... Mike would talk at the time about learning to massage it being one of his hobbies, which he was practising with his friends. So I just thought it was normal. This is just something Mike's into, and so I just went with it. We're spending time together, and this is one of his hobbies, so I did it for that reason. And then, on a fair few occasions during the internship, but also after the internship, he'd come and collect me of an evening when he was in the UK and drive me back to his house. We would have dinner or whatever, and then the wrestles would happen. They're as they've been described in the press. I was a lot smaller than I am now. I was a lot lighter, and Mike was probably twice my size, so it was never a fair match, and it went on for far too long. And it would always end up with him straddling me and pinning me down and rubbing his face and hair in my face, which was quite unpleasant. This would be a pattern that would happen a few times where I'd be at his house alone and he'd ask if I wanted a massage. I was 18, 19 at the time. You know, Mike was obviously an idol of mine and also he positioned himself as a bit of a father figure and potentially someone I was going to work with. He'd often tell me we were going to work together in ministry. He thought I was called to Soul Survivor Ministry, so... I thought this was a relationship that I should keep and protect, so I went with the massages. And they did happen on more than one occasion. He'd invite me just to get down to whatever I was comfortable with, clothing-wise. He'd even suggest that underwear was normal, so I'd be on his bed in my boxes and he'd maybe dim the lighting. It was a full oiled-up massage, a full body massage, you know, front and back, top and tail. If I'm honest, it was probably a little bit too far up the inner thighs. I do remember that and feeling very, very uncomfortable at the time. Having had this professional massage, it certainly felt it was a bit different in that respect. So, yeah, the massages definitely happened on more than one occasion. Mike dropped me 
pretty much shortly after I started dating a girl. He ghosted me and shut me off entirely in that period. I didn't really hear anything from him after that point, so that was quite a tricky one to deal with. I asked whether he'd reported what happened to anyone at Soul Survivor Watford at the time. I was rebuked pretty strongly, and this was by people who were either on staff at Soul Survivor or were speakers in the church. It was really common knowledge that Mike was massaging these young guys, but it's so difficult to describe the context. It was phenomenal that someone who, by his own admission, was broken, insecure, had his vices, would often pretend he was thick. And I genuinely believe he was pretending that he was thick, that he didn't get things and was innocent. He basically painted the image of being a child. It, it was amazing that someone who was such a child could be such a phenomenal speaker with no notes and build a global empire of a ministry and be a phenomenal salesman, networker. Just look at the amount of companies he was director of or heavily involved in. He'd become a reverend canon in the Church of England, arguably the most influential evangelical Christian leader in the UK for the past 20, 30 years. Those things don't match up. For many of us, we knew something was wrong, but didn't feel we had a voice or weren't heard. But actually, now's the time we are going to be heard because people are now interested. When I eventually spoke to Billy, he too confirmed that a massage on Mike's bed had taken place while he was an intern at Soul Survivor Watford. He was in his underwear, and it lasted 45 minutes. Mike had used massage oil. Billy talked of the same pattern, in which the pastor lavished praise and affirmation on him. He spoke of how massage was normalised, through discussions and shoulder rubs. He talked about wrestling with Mike, at his house at the church, in all sorts of places. And he repeated what others had told me, about how these things felt like signs he was one of Mike's close friends. And then, like so many others before and after him, he described being dropped, ghosted, all of a sudden, and how damaging that was. Billy confirmed that he told Tim Hughes about the massage, and although he didn't remember telling his housemate David, he said it was quite likely, because... I clocked it as being quite bizarre behaviour at the time, which is why I mentioned it to a couple of people. But I never said, oh, he's taking advantage of me, because I didn't feel like that at the time. My take on it now is that he shouldn't have done those things, because it's just not appropriate, because of the age difference and the power imbalance. But, you know, it was all in the context of a church and an organisation where he was sort of the untouchable top dog of it all. And from the chains of accountability, other pastors in the church through to who the trustees were. Everything was relational, you know, so it felt like he was unchallengeable. And I feel just as angry that he was allowed to be so unaccountable in lots of other ways as I do about any massaging or wrestling that happened. I think the massages are just one very clear and obvious red flag, of which there are many. If people took the time to look or had the access to the inner workings of things, I think people were just too scared to rock the boat in case they got booted out. Was this the reason Mike's behaviour seemingly went unchallenged for so long? Why he was still acting in unhealthy ways towards Liam a decade later? And why he had brought massage equipment to a Soul 61 class in 2011? Were senior leaders at Soul Survivor afraid to confront Mike for fear of falling from favour? 
These were questions I wanted to ask Mike himself, but unfortunately, he didn't respond to our request for an interview. A few days later, I was scrolling through Twitter when I came across a curious comment. It was from someone who was claiming to have known Mike Pallavarchi in the 80s. He was doing all this back in the 80s when we were at St Andrews Chorleywood. My brother and I were Redmond's first band for a year or two, but were then ostracised by Mike, who was Matt's mentor, without explanation. It's been good to know that we weren't alone. Up until this point, our investigation had focused on Soul Survivor. But here was someone claiming Mike's abuse began much earlier, at St Andrews. Next time on Soul Survivors. It would go on quite a long time and um, it would get sweaty. And I remember that, in a way, not being very pleasant. There is an agreement that Mike Pilavachi will take a group of people from St Andrews Chorleywood down the road to North Watford. And they begin with a youth cafe, Dregs Cafe, and this morphs into a church. When he came to my office, I was put ill at ease very quickly by him because I found him to be slippery and evasive and quite aloof. And I wasn't used to being treated that way at all um, as the new vicar of St Andrews. Mike Pilavachi was invited to take part in this series. He has yet to respond, but the door is still open. If you found some of these stories difficult to listen to, you're not alone. Coming up, after the credits, a reflection from Dr. Kate Middleton. Soul Survivors was brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine. The reporting was done by Kelly Valencia and me, Megan Cornwell. We wrote and produced it together with sound design by Bradley Howard. The theme song is Toxic by Chris Llewellyn, featuring propaganda. We've invited Dr. Kate Middleton from the Mind and Soul Foundation to reflect on what this all means for us as Christians. It's never easy to come into contact with stories or situations that feel so dark or distressing or things that we know have caused so much damage to so many people. And there's something about the manipulation of power that's particularly difficult. It's hard to realise we can be vulnerable. Other people can hurt or harm us that we might even find ourselves in a situation where we have so little defence or control. This is even more painful to process when it occurs somewhere we thought was safe, a space that should have been safe. For some of you listening, I know this will have been particularly hard, either in the emotions it's provoked or perhaps in a reawakening of past experiences. When this happens, it can push our brains into a kind of emergency mode. It's hard to focus, hard to settle that sense of rising panic or dread, hard to distract yourself from thoughts running through your mind that you don't want to be thinking. Let's just take a moment. Let's pause. Let's remind our minds that where we are now is safe. It might help to literally pause this recording and just take a moment of quiet. Maybe you could name all the sounds you can hear. Or just get yourself somewhere you can see the sky and watch the clouds. Or listen to the sound of the breeze blowing through the trees. Grab a moment if you need to. 
then come back to us. Now we're going to use another way to dampen those anxious responses. It's with our breathing. So with me now, why don't you try just taking a breath in. Now hold it just for a moment and then release it slowly like you're blowing out a long row of candles. Breathing out is like the fire extinguisher on our panic response. It dampens it down. So let's do that again. Let's take a breath in. Let's just hold it for a moment and slowly, gradually release it. Gently. You know, the Bible is not afraid to admit the presence and impact of darkness. It doesn't shy away from the truth. And the language it uses is actually powerful. It speaks of a profound, overwhelming blackness and bleakness that can feel suffocating in its strength. It captures what we feel in these moments, but the Bible also brings us hope and help. John, the gospel writer, reminds us God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And because we are people of God more, we are his beloved children. Paul reassures us that we do not belong to the dark. You see, there's an important difference between seeing the dark, perceiving it, recognizing its presence, and being consumed by it. God is such a powerful source of light so pure that it cannot be overcome no matter how heavy the darkness feels. When we walk with God, when we have that light with us, inside us, flowing through us, it's like carrying a really powerful torch. We are children of light, even if we walk in dark spaces. The Psalms tell us we can walk into the valley of shadows, but not be afraid. We may find ourselves surrounded by darkness, but we need not be overwhelmed. So let's do that breathing exercise one more time, but this time we're going to use it as an exercise to redirect our attention from the dark to the light to God's everlasting, all-powerful, pure light. You see, darkness plays tricks on us. It grabs our attention, makes it hard for us to look away, but we're going to choose to focus on something better, something brighter. Psalm 36 verse 9 says this about God. You are the giver of life. In your light, we see light. So I'm just going to repeat that a few times. And as you listen, why not breathe gently in? For that first half, you are the giver of life. And then breathe out slowly, gradually, gently on the second half. In your light, we see light. Let's give it a go. You are the giver of life. In your light, we see light. Lord, you are the giver of life. 
In your light, we see light. You are the giver of life. In your light, we see light. You might want to just carry on with that a bit in your own time. Just speak it quietly in your head as you rest and breathe in God's love and light. But for now, let me just speak a blessing over us. May the Lord bless us today. May his love and light surround us. May he bring us hope, refuel our courage, help us find joy even in times of challenge, and protect us and those we love from all evil. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Which of these topics has not been covered on PremierChristianity.com? UFOs, near-death experiences, Doctor Who, Christ's return, the faith of celebrities, and Andrew Tate. Trick question. We don't shy away from any topic. We cover faith as it affects us in daily life and give you the bigger picture. PremierChristianity.com. Special podcast subscription offer at PremierChristianity.com slash podcast.